Okay, let's get to the message here this morning. We're in 2 Corinthians, and will you stand in reverence for the reading of God's Word, 2 Corinthians in chapter 3, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We're in a series on the book of uh, 2 Corinthians, and we're calling the, the, the kind of phrasing for theme title for the whole book of 2 Corinthians, we're calling this the gospel for the week, the gospel for the week. Paul expresses the weakness that he has often throughout this letter to actually show that he's depending on the strength of the Lord. So the gospel for the week. Now today's message, uh, the title of today's message is A Letter of Transformed Lives. A Letter of Transformed Lives. Let's read the text and then we'll pray and ask God's blessing over this. Chapter 3, verse 1 of 2 Corinthians. And let me turn to 2 Corinthians and not 1 Corinthians. That would not match my notes for today. Chapter 3, verse 1. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some, letters of commendation to you or from you? Now, I'm just going to do something a little bit different. Now, bump up to verse 17. For we are not like many peddling the word of God, but as from sincerity, but as from God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Now, go back to verse 2. You are our letter, having been written in our hearts, known and read by all men, being manifested that you are a letter of Christ, ministered to by us, having been written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of hearts of flesh. Verse 4. And such confidence we have through Christ towards God. Not that we are sufficient in and of ourselves for considering anything as coming from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Let's pray over this. Would you have your hand on this text? What you had meant for the original recipients to understand from this text. Let us, let us grasp that. Then let's go forward into how to apply this, how to use this, how to see how Paul is reacting to the church, how he is defending his ministry for the glory of God and their good. But what do we see about the new covenant in Christ in this? How can it help us to transform and grow? How can it help us to realize the untamable power of the Holy Spirit that is in us for those that are in Christ? Help us to capture that. Help us to look towards Christ in this text. Let us see how Christ is lifted up, how Christ is dependent on. Let us get there for your name. And then also, just a side note of prayer. Have your hand on our Reynosa time. I pray that you call missionaries out of our church today. You call more pastors, more evangelists. You call people to ministry, even out of this time, that this Reynosa trip has lit a fire for some to consider the work of the Great Commission globally. And God, help us to be a more generous people towards this. And then I ask, just a small thing, that that Asha's refuge basket isn't full. God, would you help us to do that this week? As we buy our groceries, as we buy toiletries, I know that um, everything's a lot more expensive right now. But when we buy that toothpaste, would you put it on our heart to buy two? When we buy that mouthwash, we buy two, that we would uh, fill up that basket for these new refugees that are here. We... We ask for your blessings on this. We need you. We need this time. We need this. Our souls need it. Our hearts need this. Do what only you can do, Holy Spirit. And God's people said, amen. Thank you. You can be seated. So, 
Uh, this is kind of the underworld, and you may not know this, but you know if you're going to get a new job, you typically send a resume. That's typically how the professional world works. Did you know that's how it kind of works for most pastors, that when you want to pastor a church, or if a pastor desires to go to another church or to look at other opportunities, um, that he typically will send a resume, right? And that's how, um, by the way, just so you know, here's the underworld. Usually whatever church the guy's in preaching, he doesn't tell anybody he's doing that. Do y'all know why? Because people don't like those kind of things, right? He, he typically wouldn't tell them, right? Now, by the way, I'm not telling you that because I'm doing that. There's a point to this, right? I'm not setting you up for bad news or anything. <laughs> that's what someone does when they want a job. They send a resume. In pastoral ministry, you send a resume, what if, what if, um, what if Carville Bible Church was like, Nick, man, it's been great, but man, you're just getting old, right? And uh, head down the road and, um, and send out your resume. But instead of sending out a resume, I actually just made you the resume, right? What if when a pastor gets a job, it, it really wasn't, they didn't look at where he got his education or all that or he really, they just kind of interview everybody in the church and go, let me see how transformed your life is. Then we'll decide, do we want this guy to be our pastor, right? What, now, that, wouldn't that be kind of weird, right? I mean, if, if you really liked your pastor, you would probably sabotage it, right? I mean, I think I would. If I liked my pastor, I would sabotage it and go, you don't want that guy. He's terrible, all right? He's terrible. He's always asking people for $100 bills. You don't want that guy. Well, what's interesting, when you look at the text today, that's kind of what Paul is doing here, right? This is the Corinthian church. He's their father in the faith. He's the one that planted them. And they now are doubting the authenticity of his ministry. In fact, there are these super apostles, super apostles, not really apostles. They were Judaizers. Judaizers were those who taught that you're saved by faith plus works, right? They had taught that you're saved by keeping such as the Ten Commandments in a way to earn salvation. We don't keep the Ten Commandments to earn salvation. We actually would keep the Ten Commandments because we're saved, because the Spirit's working in us. But they, these Judaizers, these false teachers, false apostles, were downgrading Paul's ministry and saying, this is not a guy you need to listen to. Look at all the suffering he has in his life. Look at all the weakness in his life. The whole book Paul promotes over and over, actually, all this weakness I have actually shows that I am a real apostle. Now, it's interesting in the text today, he's having to defend himself again. And he says something that's kind of, um, kind of sharp, right? If you look in verse 1, he says this, Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need as some letters of commendation to you or from you? What he basically says is, You know me. I planted you. But now you want a resume? You want some credentials to, authentic, to give authenticity to my ministry? That would be as if each Sunday, this Sunday you kind of said, Nick, you've been here for almost 11 years, but I don't know if I trust you. Can I go ahead and see your credentials, Right? How do I know you should even be up here today? That's kind of what's happening. So they're saying, let us, you know, he's saying, do you need letters from me? Do you need a resume? Do you need something to give authenticity to my ministry again? Now, when he does this, it's kind of a sharp question that he's really bringing critique about these false teachers that are here. Now, it's interesting. Look at the text. He says, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need as some letters of commendation to you or from you? Now, if you, if you understand what's going on, what he's really referring to in verse 1 is he's, he's kind of being sarcastic. Does anybody know anything about sarcasm in here? Anybody know? No. No, we'd never do that. All right? 
If there's a sixth love language, it's sarcasm, right? Some people, that's their love language. I actually knew this guy years ago in the second church I worked in. Um, this guy, man, he was, I thought this guy was the meanest guy, just mean as a hornet. And uh, he, he was always saying, like, mean things to everybody. And then one day he was like, wait a minute, this guy just loves being sarcastic and saying mean things. I'm going to do that right back to him, right? And so I did. And what do you think happened? He was like my new best friend, right? It, it was like, it was like fi- finding the most sarcastic, mean things you can say to each other each time, and it would just made a connection. Paul here is kind of the tongue-in-cheek here in verse three, when he's in verse one, where he says, "Are we beginning to commend ourselves again?" Question mark. Or do we need, as some talking about the false apostles, false teachers, the Judaizing teachers who had corrupted the Corinthians, do we need, as some? Letters of commendation to you or from you? So these false teachers came in with letters of commendation from other churches saying they're legit. Back in that day, if you were a traveling teacher or preacher, you had usually letters from other churches say this person is legit. And he's saying, do I even need a letter like these other guys? Those other guys needed letters. I really don't need those letters. I'm the guy that planted you. He's going to talk more about that here in a little bit. But he's really getting after those guys. Look at verse 17. This is why I read it. He said, are we not like many peddling the word of God. These Judaizing false teachers were peddling the word of God. They were telling people what they wanted to hear so that they would have financial profit. Just a side note, be careful to ever follow anybody's ministry when they're just trying to get money from you, right? That's a hireling. You don't want that. He says, are we not like many peddling the word of God, these false teachers? That's what they were doing. But as from sincerity, but as from God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. So Paul says, just so you know, my ministry to you has always been about speaking Christ. It's always been in sincerity. I've not done this for money. In fact, for those of you who know, how much did Paul charge them, or how much did they pay Paul for the ministry he had done to them? Although not wrong, how much? Anybody know? Goose egg. Nothing. Now why did he do that? Because, because in the end... He didn't want them to use that. But by the way, they were so nitpicking on the preacher here, right, on this apostle, that they were even giving into the idea of if you were legit, you'd let us pay you, right? Man, have you ever known someone to turn down money? All right, so here's what's going on in chapter 3, verse 1, and you can see it also in verse 17. He is asking a sharp question that brings critique about the false apostle's ministry. He's putting it out there. He's letting them know. He's letting them like, do I really need to put out my resume to you? So that's what's first that's going up right here. Now, what's interesting, um, today, you might be wondering why am I dressed a little bit nicer today, right? Um, two reasons, uh, just so you know. Um, I like wearing sport coats sometimes because if you're a big dude, sports coats just hide things, right? If you didn't know that, right? Can I get amen? Y'all don't even, y'all don't even know the secret, right? These are like this secret underworld of, man, I'm telling you, I'm just... Like, give you the magician's secrets here today. But really, I have an ordination service to go to today. So uh, one of the students at Mid-America is being ordained today, right? And part of that ordination service is um, that they would invite preachers in, that the candidate would actually ask, and that for basically two hours, we are going to throw questions at this young man, right? We are going to see if this man can hold up to the weight theologically of being, of being ordained to the gospel ministry. Once he is ordained now, now that's kind of his letter of commendation. If someone says, what right do you have to actually be, to preach to us? It would be, well, let me show you my letter of ordination. So Paul, by the way, if, if, 
if you want to know who it is, do y'all remember Aaron Russell, who's preached here before and played up here and like sweat a bucket of sweat while he was up here? Do y'all remember Aaron? All right, that's him. All right, he's being. Um, so today we'll do ordination council. Yeah, praise the Lord. So today we'll spend two hours grilling the young man, right? Uh, and then we'll try to make him sweat two buckets of sweat, right? And then uh, next week his church will then do the ceremony if everything goes okay. Um, so it, it, it typically really does. Although I was at one ordination service one time where the guy got the question wrong, right? And I'm talking really wrong. I'm talking cosmically wrong. And I wondered, well, what happens if you answer bad? Do they just call it all off? Um, they corrected him and just went on. But, man, he got it terribly bad. Someone asked and said, um, what was the reason that Christ came? And the guy, he's trying to be really kind of poetic, but he should just said a simple answer. Uh, he basically said the answer, Christ came as God's last resort to save man, right? And I remember sitting there looking at the guy next to me like, uh-oh. <laughs> what happens now? <laughs> I'm sure that's not going to happen with Aaron today, right? But he brings up in verse 1 a very sharp question that brings critique about the false apostles' ministry, but also calling the question that they would even think to need some kind of commendation letters from him. And here's the reason why. Keep looking in verse 2. You are our letter, being written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Verse 2 he, there's an observation about Paul's ministry to the Corinthians. And he basically says, these false teachers need letters of commendation. They're false teachers. But me, I don't need a letter of commendation to you. In the end, you're my letter. Actually, you're my letter. You're the one. In fact, if you look in verse 2, you are the letter having been written in our hearts. So Paul makes a personal observation about his ministry to the Corinthians, saying, you are our letter. You've been written on our hearts. A very personal statement to say. I love that Paul says this very personal statement. In fact, if you ever wondered and you think that Paul's some stoic apostle who's not touched and doesn't care, then you haven't read 2 Corinthians. This is a letter that is dripping with Paul caring about this church. That was interesting. You are our letter having been written in our hearts. If you read 1 Corinthians, that's a big statement for Paul to say. Remember what happened in 1 Corinthians, right? They're arguing over who's superior because of who baptized them. There's a guy that's sleeping with his stepmother and everybody's celebrating it. They're going, they're, everybody's taking each other to court, right? To pagan courts. Remember that they're showboating um, spiritual gifts even so much that they were speaking tongues in such a way to create distraction in the church. Remember that things gotten so bad that they were getting drunk at communion, right? They weren't, at the Lord's table, they weren't sharing with each other. I mean, it's a real, I mean, even doubting, even doubting the resurrection of Jesus. So this is a church that's a big, hot mess. And yet Paul says, you're my letter, right? In fact, he says this, you are our letter having been written in our hearts. What a great personal observation. I mean, he had a sharp question that brought critique about the false teachers in verse 1. But now he gives this observation about his personal ministry. And he says, you are our letter having been written on our hearts. I find that interesting in, in light of who they are and what we know from 1 Corinthians. But catch the end of verse 2. You are... Your letter having been written in our hearts, then he says this, known and read by who? So, he's saying, others know about you. Now, it's interesting. He's giving his credentials 
that he really doesn't need a letter from anybody. They're his letter written on his heart, and everybody knows it. And you read 1 Corinthians, and we've told you that in between 1 and 2 Corinthians, there was another letter that brought them to repentance. And when you read 2 Corinthians, you can see that they really did repent of some of those things that you see in 1 Corinthians. So now what we find is this. The Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians is not the same Corinthian church he's writing to now. What has happened? A transformation has happened. He says, you're a letter. You're our letter. You're our letter of transformation. God has done a work in you. You don't need letters from other churches. You don't need anything for me to authenticate my ministry. In fact, you want to bring authenticity to my ministry, just look at how you have been transformed by Christ. And in fact, not only you, look, all men know about it. People know what's going on. I love that. What if a, what if a ministry was judged and evaluated by the transformation of the people in that ministry. In fact, I know I was joking earlier about, you know, interviewing a church full of people to see, are you qualified for ministry? But, man, I don't know. Sometimes it might be a really good thing. I was ordained years and years ago, but sometimes maybe it might be good to have another ordination where it says, you've been in ministry for a while. Let us talk to the people and how has Christ worked in them through the ministry that you've given to them. But Paul says, you're our letter. He makes an observation about his personal ministry to the Corinthians. Now, here's what's really exciting about this. Most of us would have wanted to just give up on the Corinthians and 1 Corinthians, right? Most of us would have said, you're done. I spent a year and a half with you jokers, and I'm writing this book trying to correct all these crazy things. And then he's making another trip, writing another letter that we don't have. It's a sorrowful letter. All this stuff that he's done to them, we would have given up on them by now. But Paul didn't. Why? Because he knew that the process of transformation is something that Christ will do. Christ will conform you to his image, and it's a process. You know what we want Christians to be sometimes? We think Christians who are babes in Christ should be adults the next day. Now, I'm not excusing sin, but I will tell you that Paul gets to enjoy seeing his disciples being letters written on his heart, known by all, because he didn't give up very fast on them. He kept speaking to them, writing to them, correcting them. And if they're in Christ, there's this transformation, and it's a process. Sometimes we get frustrated. We think people should have instantaneous sanctification. But sanctification is a process. It's a transformation. It takes some time. Hey, by the way, can I take a time out in this message real quick? Can y'all just do time out, right? Can y'all, somebody say time. Time. Don't worry, I'm not going to run to the bathroom. I did that before. Um, I forgot to do something. Um, it, Hannah, are you back there right now? Or is, it, is anybody in the booth? Right? Are you in the booth today? You're not actually in. You're here, but you're there. You're here, but you're there. I forgot in our meeting that I emailed a link to a video I want to show at the end of the message. Is there any way that sometime download that, me- download that video? Okay. Oh, Bill's on it? Okay, I think Bill's on it. So you're free. Now you can be exactly where you're at. And, and by, you don't have to have the volume with it. It's, it's just kind of a, it's like a one-minute video. I forgot to say that. It just popped into my head. Don't y'all have those moments, right? I call them the squirrel moments, right? Squirrel, all right? You've seen it. Okay, keep looking. <laughs> some of you get that, some of you don't. All right, we'll keep going. Have you ever given up on a relationship way too early? Have you ever given up on your kids way too early? Have you, ever, have you ever expected that your husband, you've been married to him for 10 years and you think 
dude, you should be, you should, you should have your big boy pants on by now. And yes, that's true. But are you forgetting that there's a work of transformation that God is doing, right? It's not instantaneous. It's a process. And what I love about this is the process for the Corinthians happened not because Paul took his hands off of them. You know, I think a lot of times the relationships you have, the people you're discipling, the, I mean, and here's what I think happens a lot of times. Things are going on. Let's take a husband and wife, right? She looks at him and goes, he's not growing in Christ. And, but basically, over the last five years of their marriage, she took her hands off. She didn't pray for him, doesn't encourage him, doesn't grow and try to see a First Peter 3, the transformation of her own life. She just kind of gives up on the dude. And then expects in another five years, this guy should be different or we're just done with this marriage. And what I would say is, there's a transformation that God is trying to do. Paul here says, you are a letter written on our hearts. And this didn't happen just by accident. It didn't happen, although it was Christ's work that did it in the end. It was Christ that did it. Paul takes no credit for the transformation that's happening in the Corinthians' life. But they became a letter of transformation, the transformed letter, where Paul could go, you don't need a resume for me. You're my resume. But Paul loved them. He corrected them. He encouraged them. He did all the one another ministry to them. He made personal visits to them. Spent long time with them. Did all these sorts of things. I love it. Now keep looking at verse 3. So we've seen this. In verse 1, a sharp question that brings critique about the false apostles' ministry. We see in verse 2, an observation about Paul's personal ministry to the Corinthians. By the way, just, in, just a side note. If there's ever going to be a work of God that someone's going to use you to do in someone else's life, they got to be like written on your hearts, man. you got to really care about them. It, it can't be this uh, kind of thing where you hold them at arm's length. If you really want to see God do something in someone else, you're going to have to put them on your heart. You're going to have to really care about them. It's not this distant thing. Paul never had this arm's kind of reach. Now, here's what happens in our culture and society. Everything's about creating boundaries and creating ways to keep yourself from hurting do you think the Corinthians didn't hurt Paul? I mean, do you not think all that Paul did to them did good for them? And they're over here just ragging on him, as we saw in chapter 1, that he dared, dared to make a change of plans of the direction of when he was going to visit them. And they just got all over him about it? Yeah, but what happens? He's on their hearts. They are on his heart. He is giving to them fully and freely and generously, knowing that Christ is doing a work of transformation. They are a transformed letter. They're Paul's letter. They're the one that give authenticity to his ministry. I love it, especially when you read 1 Corinthians and you see what the long game. Look at verse 3. Now in verse 3, we see an observation about the Spirit's transformation from the inside out to the Corinthians. It's a little confusing, but hang with me. Maybe we can make it clear. Look in verse 3. Being manifested that you are a letter of Christ. You're the letter of Christ. You're my personal letter. You're now the letter of Christ. Paul put a lot of work, but in the end it was God that was doing all the work. Being manifest that you are, verse 3, the letter of Christ ministered to by us. So he's not discounting his work, but ultimately it's God's work in them. Having been written not with ink. Who needed letters of commendation with ink? The false apostles, right? Then he does this comparison. He says, not but with the spirit of the living God. He basically says, these false apostles, 
They need letters of ink to give authenticity to their ministry. But you, the Spirit of God who's been living and transforming and active in your life, you're our letter. Then he keep, goes and he makes comparison to the Ten Commandments. He says this, not on tablets of stone. You remember the Ten Commandments written with the finger of God, right, on stone? Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of the heart of flesh. Now, he's not saying there's something wrong with the Ten Commandments. If you come tonight, it'd be great to jump in, 5.30 to 7.30, you'll get fed dinner. We're doing a study on the law. Um, we'll be in chapter 11 through 14. If you haven't done it yet, just, just jump in if you haven't read them. If you don't get to read them, just jump in tonight. We're going to have a great discussion. But he's not saying something's wrong with the Ten Commandments. What he is saying is that these Corinthians are the letter written on his heart, are the letter of transformation, because they have something substantial that those who received the Ten Commandments didn't have. So here's the deal. The people who received the Ten Commandments, they got the Ten Commandments. But what were they, what did they always have a problem being able to do with those Ten Commandments? Anybody know? Follow them. They kept breaking them, right? They kept breaking them. Unless we get kind of on them and think, well, yeah, how dare they? I make commandments for myself every day, and I break them by the end of the day, right? I mean, how many times have we said we're not going to have that night snack, right, right before bed? Like, I'll break my own commandments. I'm so unrighteous. But here's the problem the ten, with the commandments in the Old Testament. They didn't, they could never do it because they didn't have the power to keep it, right? They didn't. It was God's will, but there was something that they didn't have that we have. We have the permanent indwelling ministry of the Holy Spirit. It's called the New Covenant. And part of the New Covenant is the Spirit has worked something in our life where we have what the Bible calls a, a heart of flesh. We have a new heart. We obey the Ten Commandments not because they give us righteousness. We obey it because we have been made righteous through Christ's righteous life. So what Paul comes in and he says, you're, you're a letter written, our letter, but the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of the heart of flesh. He's basically saying those Judaizers, they teach that you actually are saved by trying to mix faith with being obedient to the the Ten Commandments, and actually in the end, you can't earn your righteousness through the Ten Commandments, but you, you Corinthians, you're now the transformed letter on my own heart because the Spirit of God is in you, and that Spirit of God has now brought a transformation where you're not the same Corinthian church that you were in 1 Corinthians. You're now different because the Spirit of God has brought an empowering motivation, a desire that you actually want to obey God. That's why he says, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of the heart. Now, you don't have to turn there. I'm going to read it for you. But if you're a person who can turn quick to Old Testament references, you're more than welcome to turn to these. You, you probably, and, and you know, uh, by the way, if you have a Bible and you have to turn to the front to kind of see where a book is, there's no, there's no embarrassment with that, right? So just go ahead and do it. But I have two scriptures I'm going to read for you. Um, Ezekiel 36, 26 through 27. Here's what Ezekiel says about this new covenant coming. Moreover, God says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. This is what the Corinthians had. Ezekiel 36, 26 through 27. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. This heart of stone is why they couldn't obey like the Ten Commandments. The Israelites on the end couldn't. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I will give you the heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes 
and you will be careful to do my judgments. Ezekiel, through God's inspiration, is pointing to a day where, for instance, right here, Paul can go, you now are a transformed letter on my life, and you can see it. The Spirit's working in your life. You're not the same. You've been, you're being transformed. And this is something that, on the end, this is what the Holy Spirit does. So why should we not cast each other off so fast? Because if someone is saved, they have the Holy Spirit living in them. <coughs> and that Holy Spirit is doing a work of transformation. And by the way, if you want an internal evidence of, has God saved me? Like, for instance, I became a follower of Jesus at 16. I confess him as Lord and Savior. I know that's where I know a line in the sand. Some people have the line in the sand moment that they know of. Some don't. But I do know this. that Since that date, there has been this desire to obey God. Perfectly? Oh, no. But has there been this desire and has there been this empowerment where I look at Nick at 16, I look at Nick at 44 or 45, I forget what I am now, right? It doesn't matter once you get past your 40s, right? And I look at Nick then and Nick now, and I realize, not perfection, but there's this desire for the Lord that has continued to grow and grow. And what is that? That's that heart of flesh. That's that spirit, that spirit that is empowering obedience, that is empowering delight in God, that spirit that is working that work of transformation. And I'm so glad that people didn't give up on me in the early days. I'm glad that people didn't give up to me in the middle of my years because this work of transformation is going on. I'm becoming a letter of the Spirit. It's been written on my heart. So that's what he's saying in the text. Now there's another verse I want to read for you from Jeremiah 31, 33, from Jeremiah 31, 33. Now you may not have time to turn to it before I read it, but here's what it says in Jeremiah 31, 33. But this is the covenant that I will cut with the house of Israel after those days, declares Yahweh. I will put my law within them. I will put my law within them. And on their heart I will write it. I'll be their God. They shall be my people. Now next week we're going to talk more about this new covenant, this ministry of the Spirit that works in our life, the new covenant we have in Christ. But part of having Christ is having the Holy Spirit. Part of having the Holy Spirit is this empowerment to obey God, this desire to obey God, this, and it's not that the Old Testament saints didn't have it. You can read, like, you can read Psalm 119 and see that there was a desire for God's law, but there's an empowerment that you and I have now because of the Holy Spirit's ministry in our life that's totally different. This sealing of the Holy Spirit, this permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit, it came down at Pentecost. It all came as a result of the work of the cross. It's now here. It's ours. We have a heart of flesh. This is why we don't give up on those who are in Christ that fast. That's why we, even if you're in Christ, if you are in Christ, don't walk away from the Lord so quick. Just because you haven't experienced the transformation, just because you're not where you think you were going to be within a year of being in Christ or five years of being in Christ, you remember this. If you're in God, there is, the Holy Spirit is inside you and he is doing a work. Keep trusting, keep obeying, keep worshiping, this is why the most disastrous thing you'll ever do is walk away from the body of Christ, decide to be someone who just kind of punts on discipleship and punts on people and just decides to give up. And you know, These people who, they'll struggle with sin in their life and they'll think, what's the use in fighting this anymore? And I would say, I'm sure glad that didn't happen to the Corinthians. I mean, man, have you ever thought your sin is bad in your life? Just read 1 Corinthians. Really, really bad. I mean, 
terrible. I'm just telling you. We do communion every week. I've not set, seen God kill anybody after communion in our church. Haven't seen it, right? I've not seen anybody drunk and stumble after we've taken the communion wine. Because maybe it's not real communion wine, but regardless, you've got to get what I'm saying. God's doing the work. It's not time to give up. If you're online and you're kind of thinking, well, I don't need to come to the church because it's just going to crumble in around me. You know, I'm so bad at sin. I'm so bad. I will go, if the Spirit's in you, that Spirit is working a work of transformation. You have a new heart. You have something. You are a caged up lion. Let the lion out, right? Let the lion eat. Let the lion feast on the Word of God. Let that lion of the, of the Spirit that's working in your life now feast on worship. You'll see a transformation. This is what's happened with them. By the way, as a side note, and many of y'all know that I love the um, I love biblical discipleship. I love especially even counseling, biblical counseling. And here's one thing they, they teach you, that even I teach when you do biblical counseling. Because I, I actually hear, I've heard many that, that actually are interested in doing counseling degrees and studying it. I think that's great. My only kind of um, encouragement to you, uh, many encouragements, but it would be this. Be careful if you try to study psychology, the soul of, the soul of man from man's perspective. It's going to lead you into some terrible paths, right? Study the soul from God's perspective, from thus saith the word of God. That's what you need to do, actually, if you're going to study counseling, if you really want to help people. But here's what I've discovered. This is the first thing taught when I started doing a degree in biblical counseling. Basically, it was this idea. If you've got someone who's an unbeliever, you give them Jesus and get them to salvation. Because if you do go on and just try to teach them, teach them God's commandments, right? You're going to kind of run up a wall because it's really just commandments on stone, right? There's no heart of flesh. There's nothing there to actually transform and change them. What they actually need, don't pass go on this one, right? Don't collect $200. Make sure that they know Christ, right? Keep preaching Christ because when they have Christ, they have the Holy Spirit. If they have the Holy Spirit, the potential for transformation is all there. Why? Because in Christ you have a new heart, a new um, a heart of flesh, a heart that wants to worship God, enjoy God, desire God, obey God. Paul says, you're my letter. Everybody knows it. Not on tablets of stone, but on the flesh. You're transformed. Look what God is doing. If you want, if you want to know how do we know Paul is legit, look what the Spirit's done in you. Now, we end it with verse 5 and 6. Look at verse 5 and 6. Actually, 4, 5, and 6. Now, unless you think that Paul's just kind of, you know, a peacock, right, making much about himself, right? Y'all know what I say on a peacock, right? They kind of stick their head up, right? Okay. Everybody looked at me weird when I said that. He's not really making much of himself, although he has. And, and by the way, he's defending his ministry not because it's all about Paul. He's just defending it for the glory of God and their good. He's their apostle. He planted them. He knows he has to come in and do defending. If you read the book and kind of get the nuances, Paul really doesn't like doing that. He thinks it's foolish. He, he, he doesn't want to do it, but he knows for their good, he's got to bring some defense of his ministry for their good. But in the end, not even Paul is taking credit. And let me tell you, a guy that spends a year and a half with these people, makes a special trip, writes Writes, writes an extra letter, at least we know for sure, in the middle of First and Second Corinthians, who takes all these pains, all this prayer, all this, and then goes and makes a visit, and the visit's so bad, he leaves and writes this like, really sorrowful letter that we don't have. Paul's been through all that, and you'd think that Paul would go, 
in the end, you are my letter because really I work my tail off to get you to where you are today. That's not what he says in the end of verse 4. Verse 4, look what he says. And such confidence we have through who? Through Christ. Through Christ towards God. Not that we are sufficient in and of ourselves. It's not about what I've been doing. To consider anything as coming from ourselves, it's really not been me. Oh, can we get an amen? Didn't he put out a lot of work? Amen. Man, he put a lot of work. But in the end, he's saying it really wasn't me. He says this, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter of the Spirit, the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. He says in the end, our ministry is based off of the new covenant. Our ministry is based off what the Spirit has done. And by the way, when we say someone is, has the Spirit in them, the common evangelical idea is if you have the Spirit in you, that means you're running circles around a sanctuary or you have a tambourine or you have a big flag or people think like that means that you have the Spirit. And I would tell you this, if you have the Spirit, here's a great test of it. Not how excited you are, although I think we should be a little bit more excited than we are sometimes, right? I mean, um, I'd love to hear a little bit louder singing. I just would, right? I'd love that enthusiasm. Right, I'd be okay. I'd be okay with a couple more amens, or or I'm just people, or just people are just excited. I, I'd love that more. But if the spirit's really working in a person's life, what are you going to see? Not just emotion, but you're going to see transformation. You're going to see the spirit doing a work in their life. You're going to see obedience to God. I had this lady one time that told me how much the spirit was working in her life, and I was like, "Man, that is so awesome! Tell me some of the things that's doing." He said, "Well, she said the spirit's working in my life, and my husband's just a loser." And God's given me this other man. And, 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 and man, God, God, I prayed and asked for a man that loves the Lord. My husband doesn't. This man does. God's given to him. I know God's given. I, I know the Spirit. I walk with God. And I'm thinking to myself, no, you don't know the Spirit. The Spirit doesn't contradict his commandments. That's adultery. We don't do those things. You can't claim the Spirit and walk in disobedience. So Paul's saying, you have an obedient life, but it's really Christ that's done it. And in fact, what gives authenticity to my ministry is, is, is this new covenant in Christ of the Spirit, not for the letter. So in the end, Christ is exalted. Christ is the one that gets all the commendation here. But the title of the message is a letter, a, a letter of transformation written. In the end. Paul doesn't defend his letter by letters of commendation written on ink like the false apostles. His letter of commendation is the work of transformation that happened in the Corinthians to the glory of God. Yes, was there Paul's efforts been the end? It was all of Christ, and Christ has done this work that only he can do. Now, I have a video I want to show you of kind of what this kind of looks like, right? From the inside out. Did the video actually work? Did it come through? Does anybody know what that is? Uh, y'all passed biology. That's so good. Dude's just nibbling. Is it, is it making you hungry seeing this caterpillar nibble on some green stuff? Not really, right? Yeah. I kind of I feel the same way. So what's he doing? He's going through transformation, right? He's going through the cocoon process, right? Something has to happen on the inside, and it takes some time. He had to nourish. It takes some time. It takes some time. But eventually, something beautiful transforms from the inside and makes its way out. 
Now, a small way to show it, but in the end, that's what the Corinthian church was. They were a letter of commendation. Right? They were Paul's letter because a work of transformation had happened. And it wasn't easy. It wasn't pretty. Paul hung in there, but in the end, the Spirit of God that was inside of them brought that transformation. My encouragement to you is this. It's not time to give up on your relationship with the Lord. Not time to do that yet. Not time. Not time to give up on so many people you want to give up on if they're naming Christ. Not time to give up. And if you're not in Christ, oh, friend, here's one of many reasons I would say bow the knee, trust Christ as Lord and Savior, admit your sin, trust in Him and Him alone, come and be baptized as, as soon as we can get this baptistry fixed again, right? Like, come and do it. And here's the reason why. Your whole life is just going to be, as you're watching the religious games, you're just going to be like, like the laws are just going to be stone, right? It's, there's going to be no joy in God. You're going to try to do right by God, and you're never going to be really able to. You're not even gonna, it, it's not even going to be exciting or good or desirable. But I tell you, something changed when I became 16 years old, and God came into my life and saved me. Something changed. The Spirit came in. He's done a work in my life. He's still doing a work in my life. He is transforming me into his image. It's his will. Would you stand with me? Can we pray over this? What a great time to sing back to the Lord. What a great time to testify about what God did in Reynosa, what God's doing in our own life. This is a transformational time. This is great ministry time. I look forward to eating with you. I look forward to praying with you. I look forward to seeing what God has done this week, this work of transformation. Would you pray over this with me? If there is someone here who has not bowed the knee to Jesus, does not know where they would spend eternity if they were to die today, would they not leave this building until they talk to me or someone else? Just about 99% of the people here today can walk, you, can walk a person through the gospel. God, would you let them come to Christ today and for the rest of us? Would we, once, would we recalculate the root here? We have something amazing if we're in Christ. This spirit that is doing a work that the people at Mount Sinai didn't have to the level we have. Didn't have what we have. Moses is receiving commandments and laws from God and they're building a golden calf. God, we have something different. Something totally different and empowering and transformational. Let us claim it. Let us know it, let us walk in it, and we'll see it as we obey his commands. Help us to do that. And God's people said...